0: is kind of what we are talking about today. Uh, We are talking about the good gifts of our creator in the Genesis 2 account, and I'll tell you something. I didn't realize until I got into this message how controversial some of these gifts are. Um, Some of what I'm going to say to you this morning is really not anywhere close to socially acceptable today. Uh, and it's gonna be maybe offensive and, and tweetable and stuff like that. But I think it's really important that we study this text together. And, and it's important that we remember that our creator, the hero of our story, God, uh, gives good gifts. Our, our, our hero is a good God who gives good gifts. Like uh, Scott was mentioning, we're in this kind of um, dual account of the creation story Uh, uh, account number one we studied last week and it's almost reads like a poem Uh, it it almost reads like a song Uh, and this week we're going to see the creation story in Genesis 2 it is told a second time uh, this time as a more as a narrative as a traditional story so here's how the second account goes Uh, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye, good for food, and the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowing from the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The first, uh, the name of the first is Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havla, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good, aromatic, resin, and oxen are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. And the name of the third river is Tigris. And it runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man uh, and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man uh, gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to go into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed uh, up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib He had taken out a man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they became one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. I love that chapter 2 essentially starts almost the same way as chapter one, right? Chapter one was in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Chapter two starts, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created and the Lord God made uh, the earth and the heavens. That there is a creator. This is God. This is not called origin story because this is the origin of God. God has no origins. This series is called Origin because it's the origin of us. It's the origin of the world. So there is a creator. There is a God. And the whole point of Genesis 1 and 2 is that I am not him. I am not the hero. I don't need to wear the cape. Right? God's got the cape well under control. But he is our hero and he brings good gifts. So what I want to do, we're just, it's almost going to have a feel, I think, almost like a lesson today. I want to walk through some of these good gifts that we see in Genesis chapter 2. Here's the first one. Life is good. Life is good. I've always loved the imagery of this text, of God bringing together the dust of the ground. He forms a a man out of that dust, almost like a, a dirt statue of a man, and then he breathes life into that man. Later, he puts that man to sleep, takes a rib, forms the woman, but it is still God who gives life to the woman, and here's the truth. We are designed for life. This is why when we get a difficult diagnosis, our bodies fight so hard to live. We were created uh, for, for life. This is uh, why uh, when someone gets to the point of their wondering whether or not they should go on, we urge them to get help because they're thinking about giving up on the, the greatest of gifts, which is life. Life is so meaningful to God that he created us to live for all of eternity. That someday life here will end, but life will not end. We will live forever with God in heaven. And that means something, that we are created for life. And on uh, tomorrow, as we're remembering Martin Luther King and we remember uh, the difficult kind of blight on our country called racism, it is a reminder that life is valuable. Everyone's life is valuable. On Wednesday, when we remember the sanctity of life and the difficulty and blight of abortion in our, in our community, it is why we remember on that day, life is good and life is valuable. Your life is valuable, but so is the person sitting next to you. So is the person living across town. So is the person living in the Middle East. So is the person sitting in prison. Life is is valuable because everyone was created by God. And it's not to say there's not consequences for your actions, it's not to say that government doesn't play a role in that, but it is to say, as Christians, we remember life matters. Life matters. It is important to remember that we are created in God's image. It gives urgency and importance to the issue of life. And that's not to say, when I say life is good, that is not to say life is not without challenge. It, life, it does come with its, uh, ch- its challenges. Of course it does, but I want to remind you of an important truth. Even though it's freezing outside right now, you are alive right now. Right? Right? Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. Still going. All right. I'm 44 today, but still going. All right. All right. You are alive right now, and I don't know how long your days on earth are numbered. I couldn't possibly have that information, but you are here, and you are alive, and so the biblical text would teach us, live well. Live well. You are alive. It is a gift, and you are going to live forever. It is a gift. So right now, live well. Laugh hard. Work hard. Be in relationship. Further God's mission. Enjoy one another. Live well, because it is a great gift. So life is good. The genders are good. God created the genders. Uh, As a matter of fact, the biblical text here teaches us that male and female, he created them. And there was a time in our country where I think men were seen as better than women. And there's been a time in our country where I think women have been seen as better than men. And can I tell you the truth from the Genesis text? Neither of those things are true. Men and women bear the image of God together. They are co-equals, but different. So I think that needs to be said as we explore this idea of gender, that men, and this is gonna really, really blow you away. I studied all week for this. Men and women are different from each other. (laughs) Bum, 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 right? We're different from each other. And that is part of God's design and God's plan, is that we would be different from one another that men and women see the world in different ways. We, we see things from a different perspective. And gender, it is so important that we understand gender because gender goes to our attraction Right? Gender uh, c- uh, communicates to us how we live out our attractions. And I'm not just talking about uh, sexual attraction by any stretch of the imagination, imagination. I'm talking about attraction in general. So like, we have found with our kids, for instance, that Sam, uh, my eight and a half year old, is very much a mama's boy. He's kind of attracted in that direction. Lila is more of a daddy's girl. She wants daddy. Their natural, God-given, birthly attractions are different. And so gender kind of plays a role in that. It's not the only thing, and it's certainly not to say that there's not attractions um, uh, between boys and their dads and girls and their moms, not, not to say that at all, but, but gender informs attraction. Gender also informs identity and purpose. Being a man means, think about this for a minute, being a man means fill in the blank. Just think about that for a minute. Being a woman means fill in the blank. Think about that for a minute. What does it mean to you to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? And some of those things that we would fill in the blank with, they are good and they are from God. Being a man means I provide to the best of my ability. Being a man means I demonstrate leadership. Being a man means I defend my family. Being a woman means I bring a relational element to this world. Being a woman means I bring compassion and love. Being a woman means I set a good example. Being a woman means I am present there for my family. Some of what you would fill in the blanks with is good and from God. And some of it, honestly, is messed up tape from our childhood that we're still trying to undo. Right? And every one of us has a couple of those things. Like for some of you, it's like being, you know, I saw my dad or I saw my grandpa. Being a man means I'm disengaged from the family. I get home, I sit down in front of the TV, and I'm just disengaged. That's what being a man means. Being a woman means I have to be perfect to be accepted. Being a man means I'm angry. Being a woman means I'm controlling. And some of us we are still trying to undo that tape of whatever it is. And part of what it means to be a man and part of what it means to be a woman is is allowing God to define some of these things for us. I think one of the big mistakes that Christianity has made, huge mistake, is that we have made a caricature of what it means to be a man and what uh, what it means to be a woman. And those caricatures have not been helpful. The caricature of a man who loves football and violence has not been helpful because a lot of men love the arts. The caricature of a a doting wife who has no interests outside the home has not been helpful. It's not been because most women have a ton of interests outside the home and they are gifted and they have capacities. So the Bible does not interest itself a ton in caricature. It doesn't. Uh, instead of a detailed list of, you'll never find a, a text in the Bible of this is what it means to be a man. This is what it means to be a woman. The Bible doesn't seem interested in giving us a detailed list of what that means. The Bible instead seems to allow for some generalizations about the role of men and women. So about the role of men, the Bible in general would say men provide leadership, protection. They are good husbands to wives and good fathers to children. Generalization. The generalizations the Bible would provide about women is they bring a nurturing element in, a compassionate element in. They bring a female leadership and voice to the world. They are good wives and good mothers. There are some generalizations, but listen, as you read the Bible, there's a whole lot more freedom when it comes to genders. Why? Because we are human beings and we are unique. So men... You have unique gifts from God. You are uniquely wired by God. Would you use those gifts to be the best men you can be? Be a unique you. You don't have to be a caricature of what this culture or Christianity says a man is. You can be a unique you, but be the best man you can be. Women, you have unique gifts from God. You don't have to live inside anybody's caricature. Be a unique you, but use your gifts and use your abilities to be the best women you can be, the best wives, the best mothers, the best workers, the best leaders. So you probably see where this is going, but one of the huge mistakes our culture is making right now is we are in the process of doing away with God-created gender. That I might identify as a man or I might identify as a female. And we're in the process of having a conversation as a culture about what would it mean if we just did away with God created gender. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I am concerned. Because I don't believe God created a mistake when He created you. I don't. And I believe He created you a man on purpose and with a purpose. And I believe he created you a woman on purpose, and with a purpose. And it's not cookie cutter. You don't have to be the caricature of a man. You don't have to be the caricature of a woman. You don't have to be stereotypical. You can be your unique God created you. But part of how God created you is gender, male and female. He created them. And so we don't know where this conversation in our culture is gonna lead, nobody does, but here is my just kind of pastoral take, is I think it's going to lead to great confusion. I think it already has confusion about attraction, confusion about purpose, confusion about identity, because gender helps us crack those codes. So I think the biblical narrative for you would be to say, you're unique, you are special. God created you with unique gifts, unique abilities, but he created you on purpose and with a plan. So be the best man you can be. Be the best woman you can be. Be who God created you to be within the framework of how he created you. But certainly gender informs that, and gender is an important piece of that. Now, this is not a sermon about gender, And I know I'm taking a massive subject and trying to give you a few snippets, but I really want you to think about it. What would, with my unique gifts and my unique abilities, what would it look like to be the man that God created me to be? With your unique gifts and your unique abilities, what would it look like for you to be the man or the woman God created you to be? Because the genders are good. Next point, I got through it, all right. Marriage is good. You see, the, you see God's heart for marriage in this text, don't you? He, God clearly loves marriage, but you can also see Adam's heart for Eve in this text. Adam has some game, right? I love this part of the text where God creates the woman, he brings the woman to Adam, and Adam busts into song. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Lyrics could use a little work, but, but I mean, it's okay, but um, I wanna give you a piece of advice. If you are in a marriage that is struggling, if you're in a marriage that is going through difficulty right now, it is easy to see all the annoyance and all the stuff that drives you nuts. Take a page from Adam and find something to sing about. Find something to sing about. Find something to celebrate. Find something to take joy in, because I guarantee you, if you look for it, you will find it. But what the Genesis narrative also teaches us is that that when you get married... You are now united with your spouse. And this means a couple things. One of the things it means is no more running back to mom to make your bed. right? No more running back to mom to solve your problems or take your side in a fight with your spouse. You are now a team with your wife. You are now a team with your husband. You are united. So for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. Stop running back to mom. Stop running back to dad to take your side. You, are, you have left your father and your mother. You can still love them, take care of them, right? Don't turn your back on them. But be united with your spouse. And, and we'll, we'll see this even more next week. But what happens in the Genesis narrative is that what was once a song of adoration in Genesis 2 Becomes a tone of accusation in Genesis 3. That sin enters the human race for the very first time in Genesis 3. Sin finds its way into the marriage and it's been wreaking havoc ever since. The very first thing Adam does when sin enters the world is blames his wife. All right? And so this beautiful song of adoration about Eve turns into the woman you created, God. And and it's a tone of accusation. And sin has been wreaking havoc on marriage ever since. I used to say in weddings, and I stopped saying it because it's, like, super awkward. But I'm like, this marriage has everything going for it, except for this man who's a sinner and this woman who's a sinner. Other than that, this is going to be fantastic. Right? And people, it's just not the right tone for a wedding. But, um, (laughs) And I can put two and two together. I'm like, this. every time I'm doing marriages, this is super awkward. Like, we don't want to hear that at weddings. So, but it's true, right? Outside of the sinful man and the sinful woman, this thing's going to be fantastic. That's not to say it's not good. It is good. And as a matter of fact, the biblical narrative is not that you just lean into that this is going to be hard. The biblical narrative is that in Jesus, he's gonna give us some tools to help us. The Apostle Paul will talk about this later. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. We always think it's like just verse 22. We forget that verse 21 exists, right? ought to love their wives as as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are all members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. There it is again. The two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband." Sin brings about challenges. It just does in marriage and in all relationships. But in Jesus, we find what we need to overcome those challenges. So in Jesus, we see the servant that makes a difference in a marriage. In Jesus, we see the love that makes a difference in a marriage. In Jesus, we see the respect that makes a difference in a marriage. We see all of these beautiful things in Jesus that makes a marriage go. So marriage can be challenging because of sin, but because of Jesus, those challenges can be overcome, and a marriage can be good and blessed. Right? Work is good. Before God uh, ever gave Adam Eve, he gave him a job. So it's, I always say that, like, you know, all right, great to look for a wife, get the job first, all right? That's the biblical order, right? Uh, then when God gave him Eve, he gave them a job together. In other words, we are designed for contribution. We are designed to make a difference. God has given you gifts, abilities, personality, history, and God wants to use all of those things to help you make a big contribution to this world. So if you are still working, if you're here and you're working in the marketplace, maybe your job and your contribution align perfectly, right? Um, That's always great when it works out that way. Uh, Your biggest contribution to to the world may be outside of your day job, but make no mistake about it. You are wired up to make a contribution. If you are raising kids and you're kind of home with your kids right now, Do not make the mistake of believing that you are not making a gigantic contribution. You are. We are in in the dog days of child rearing right now where it is exhausting and tiring and you're wondering if you're doing the right thing. And I need to be reminded, this is our primary contribution to the world right now. It just is. It's our primary. It's not our only one. But it is our primary one. Sam and Lila, that's our primary contribution right now. And it matters. It is making a difference. God has given you everything you need to accomplish everything that he wants. And to the retired folks, you may retire from a job, but you do not retire from contribution. Please, 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 don't have your plan be retired to the beach and lay at the beach for the rest of your life please don't have that be your plan. Because you are wired for contribution. You are wired to make a difference. And so find a way to contribute in your retirement years and to make a a difference. And for all of us, the greatest contribution we get to make is for the kingdom of God, for the Jesus mission, to make his name great. But we are all wired for this. We are all wired for this. And there is, we, we are just kind of discovering now that there's this kind of fantasy American dream that never really has existed in in the history of civilization until the last several years. But this kind of fantasy of I'll stop working and stop contributing and just kind of lay around. And science is just now catching up to this, that you tend to die young when you do that. So in a weird way, I am saving your life with this sermon, (laughs) right? Because you are wired for contribution, you are wired to make a difference, and uh, some of you are still working, and that's part of your contribution. You're raising kids, it's a huge part of your contribution. You're retired, and I think there's a battle that has to be waged when you first retire of, what is my contribution going to be now?" But you are wired up for that. Last thing we see in this story and I think this is a really, really hard one, but restrictions are good. There's a part of uh, this story where God says to the man and woman, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. All these trees, they're good for food. They're pleasing to the eye. But there's one tree, just one tree that I, don't, I want you to stay away from. Uh, the tree of knowledge and, and good of good and evil. And this story, I get more questions about this story than maybe any other story in the Bible. Because this story bugs us. And part of what what bugs us about this story is why even allow the choice, right? Why does God even have that tree, right, that that you eat of it and you're surely going to die? Why have the choice at all? And we're going to talk about this a whole lot more next week. We're going to talk about the idea um, of uh, free will and why God allows free will. And I want to answer a question that just maybe I have, but I want to answer it anyway about, like, is part of the heaven story that there won't be free will in heaven. I think, I think that's kind of a fallacy and a myth that God's going to destroy it all and that we like all of a sudden will be robbed of our free will in heaven. And I believe we still will have free will in heaven. But, um, but anyway, that, that's, that's next week. I, I think God is teaching us something here that we have a hard time understanding as human beings. And, and here's the truth. Restriction is a really good thing. That it is good And there's something uniquely human about learning to say no and learning to say I can't and learning to say I'm not going to go there and learning to say that's not good for me and learning to say, no, I've got all the other trees in the garden that are good for food and pleasing to the eye. I'm going to just because of what God wants me, I'm going to be drawn to those and I'm going to say no to this thing that God says no to. It is good to be restricted. We just finished up Christmas just a few weeks ago, and I don't know about you, but Christmas is a season for me um, that is full of yeses. Cookie, yes. (laughs) Dessert for every meal, yes. Lots of calories and beverages, yes. And by the end of it, January rolls around, and I'm like, why did I say yes to all that? Now I got a diet on my birthday. Right? Why did I say yes to all that stuff, right? And this is, this is a time where a lot of us, we kind of reflect on the last year. And this is the time of year where we kind of regret all of our yeses. And we want to be reminded today that one of the great gifts that God gives us is no. That no is a really good thing. And so we want to figure out this time of year, what, are, what is the tree of knowledge of good and evil? What, what is the no for us Maybe for us, it's like, now I'm going to say no to more time on a screen. I'm going to say no to more social media. I'm going to say no to more appointments. I'm going to say no to more food. I'm going to, I'm going to say uh, no for more financial irresponsibility. I'm going, to, I'm going to figure out what the no is that God is calling me to this year. I know it's a whole lot more fun to figure out the yes, but there are so many yeses, right? Every other tree in the garden was a yes, there was just that one no. And so in a lot of ways, figuring out the no, I think is hardest of all. And I'm just gonna be real honest with you as I conclude. Um, I kind of hate preaching the way that I did today. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll tell you why. I like to preach like one or two point sermons. And I have just thrown a ton of stuff at you guys. And I'm hope, hopefully one or two things may be stuck with, with you, whatever kind of season of life that you're facing right now. But the number one thing that I hope sticks with all of us is that God gives really good gifts, and He, is, he gives good gifts the gift of whether it 's the gift of no or uh, uh, the gift of gender or if, if you 're in a season of marriage or child th- those gifts um, uh, all the, the, the gift of life that God gives these really good gifts, and that is best seen in what we 're going to celebrate together over, over the next few minutes it 's Uh, that the idea that Jesus saw us in our sin and he came to earth and he lived a perfect life and he died for our sins. This is the greatest gift that he gives us because in the cross, we receive his grace. In his resurrection, we receive his power. And, And those are two incredible, maybe the most incredible gifts that God gives through his son, Jesus. It is the gift of forgiveness when we fall short, when we say yes to something that God said no to, And immediately January 1st rolls around. I was like, why did I say yes to that? Steve, why did you say yes? And and you're full of regret. It is a beautiful reminder that in Christ we are forgiven. But also in Christ we receive his resurrection. And we are reminded that next time I can say no. Next time I can have the power to do that. Because the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in you. And that is a beautiful and good thing. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, some of it's hard to figure out, some of it's hard uh, to know. Uh, in a weird way, when, when you say some of the stuff that that, that you've said, I, I wish you, you just like lay it out even more plain than it is, even though it is pretty plain. But we wanna remember that you're a good God and, and that you want good for us. Would you help us to do that? Um, and that culture is sometimes leading us astray on some issues, but you are good, and you have life for us. Uh, Help us to see that. Help us to embrace that. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.